Welcome back to another episode of the Muslimer Mindspace as we're venturing through Muslimers in business. And today we have Nasreen El Saidi from Parenting on Purpose. She coaches parents through the challenges of parenthood. She is a primary school teacher, NLP practitioner, and a conscious parenting coach. And I am so excited to have you on the podcast today, as I know a lot of listeners are as well. So if we could get to know you in a couple of sentences for those people who don't, what are some of the things that you would like to highlight to us today? Hi, Jasmine. Thank you very much for your very kind introduction. What would I like to let your listeners know? That you are not your actions and we are not our feelings and we are not our thoughts. All of these three things together contribute to how we show up to the world and all it takes is the intention to want to do better, to be better. And then that shows in our actions, in our thoughts, in our feelings. So to never define yourself by your toughest times is what I would live by. I love that. And how did you get to that stage? Because I would feel bad when I first had my first child, I would think, why am I not enjoying this? Why am I such a crap mum? Why is it not coming naturally like everyone said it would? Where is this connection? Where is this love that you're supposed to have and bond with, with your child? It's not there for me. I'm struggling. I'm tired. I hate the person I am. I hate the person I'm becoming. And I would actually believe that this was my personality. When it's mm-hmm. not, these are your thoughts mm-hmm. and you can change them. And perhaps I was struggling as a first-time mum who was isolated, and I just felt like there had to be a better way. Yeah, so before you went down this whole route of NLP and conscious parenting, you were basically just like a lot of us by the sounds of it. I remember with my third child, like I had the disconnect with my third and my second, and I was like, doesn't this usually happen with the first? Like I've done this before. Why is that happening now? So I can totally resonate with that kind of aspect and I I assume that's what got you into you know wanting to become a conscious parent especially the transition from primary school teacher to now conscious parenting you know is it your motherhood journey that made you want to advocate for obviously not only parenting but motherhood and your mental health in the process of motherhood yeah it it there's a cor- there's a correlation but it's also the actual opposite so I've always loved kids. I've always loved working with kids. I've always understood them. But as being a child myself, I was always misunderstood. Mm-hmm. So I was always on a journey of proving myself, proving, proving my worth, proving my value. And that eventually got me to a place of relying on external validation. Where How were you? How were you misunderstood? Just to get to the specifics. Because I okay. think a lot of us have been misunderstood. I was always that person that wanted to do things my own way. I was someone that craved connection, craved one-on-one time, craved that that deep sense of existence with other people. So I always wanted to have friends and be around friends and, you know, do bigger, be better, and just always was passion-driven from a young child. But it was never in alignment with what our parents wanted, for example, because my parents always wanted 10 out of 10 grades, become a doctor, become a lawyer, which mm. I was actually in law at the beginning of my first six months of uni. I was in law and I absolutely hated it. But what would people say if I dropped out? I was a quitter. Yeah. I wasn't good enough. Living to other people's expectations. Well, your parents' expectations, I guess, and trying to fill in their box and make them proud. 
Yeah. And then noticing the shift in, okay, I love these kids, but why am I struggling to connect with my own child? Mm-hmm. And I understood children, but I didn't understand how to peel it back and just sit with my child and enjoy their presence. Mm-hmm. So it was more like, okay, what's not, not asking myself what's wrong with me, but what's wrong with the way I am processing these situations. So I went from being a go-getter to having to really slow down at home and become the housewife and the mother. Mm-hmm. Took away a lot of things that I, I identified myself as. And yeah. that really, really hurt. It's like, but this is who I am. I am a teacher. How can I not be a teacher? How can I not be a student? Why am I catering to everyone's needs? But what about me? Mm-hmm. And that's where the... the so you sh- feel like you kind of had to pick one or the other? Yeah. Like at that point, there was no best of both worlds. Absolutely like not. I'm losing my identity, my ambition, you know, my drive And now I'm kind of stuck here in a space where I don't like who I am. I don't know how to be a mom. I have this crying baby. My body's aching left, right, and center. And I don't know where the hell I'm going, let alone to take this baby anywhere. Literally. Literally. There was no no middle ground. No. And like the light, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. It just felt like this was permanent. Yeah. And, and do you remember the first time you started to see that light? And if so, what was it? The light was, I think I was in a very dark place for the first year. Mm-hmm. And the light was, okay, I'm sleeping again. Mm-hmm. I'm not breastfeeding anymore. I can choose to wear tops that don't button up. Mm-hmm. What else is next? Yeah, like and, that little bit of getting yourself back. Yes. And then yeah. I actually even considered going back to the, like, I was so deep into it that I didn't even consider going to the gym. Mm-hmm. So, and my child's one. I can go to a gym, but why couldn't I go to the gym before that? Yeah. You took that isolation option. Yeah. Or your choice and option disappeared. Yeah. Because you were so wound in that, that other identity. It's like, it's all or nothing. I'm either that or I'm nothing. Absolutely. And I feel like when you're in that, in the depth of those thoughts mm-hmm. and your first time mother, I think it's not even spoken about enough how, you know, you, your friend, your circle of friends changed because sometimes I was a first mother in my group of friends and I moved out of area when I got married. So there was a lot of layers to the isolation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where my my passion for letting mothers and women know that they're not alone comes from. Yeah. So, yeah. Especially because during that period of time, you do feel alone. And speaking up on not connecting with your baby or finding breastfeeding hard, or not enjoying motherhood in general. You know, there's so much stigma around those things. And then you're already judging yourself. You're afraid of what other people are going to say if you do speak up. So you choose not to speak up and you suffer in silence. And then you just need to show up like you're okay. And then the cycle continues and continues and continues until, yeah, sometimes you do have that mind shift where it's like, okay, I am able to breathe now. And sometimes you're not. And like you said, it's a really dark place to be in, especially when you don't have that support. Absolutely. So would you say after you kind of started to find yourself and you got that little bits of you back and you started to find your feet in regards to, okay, maybe I can have both, where did the jump from primary school teaching to conscious parenting coach come in? Okay, so when I realized that I had choices in my life, I went back to uni. hmm Graduated from my master's, 
I became, I landed my first full-time kindergarten job. Mm-hmm. Loved it. And I noticed a strong connection with my children. I was thriving. And I also noticed a strong connection compared to others with the parents. Like the parents always wanted to come into the room, have a chat with me. They were always inspired and motivated and found a lot of useful tips and tricks that I had to take this lesson from the conversation home and apply it in a way to see positive changes in their child's life, not Mm -hmm. so academically, but more emotionally. Yeah. They were having trouble communicating with their child. They were having trouble with a certain aspect that their child was showing at home and not at school. Mm. And then I realized that I can sit here and do all the emotional regulation and work on all the emotional intelligence and all the emotional literacy with a child. But as long as they go back home to the same environment that they came from, nothing's going to change because it's the parent that's the main character in the child's life, regardless of how much time they spend, that person is their be all end all. So that's where the shift needs to happen. Yeah. And that's where my love for it just grew and grew and grew. And I just felt like I was doing myself a disservice to my passion if I stayed in an industry where I just craved more. Mm-hmm. And did you find that leap scary? Like even though it was your passion, did you find stepping out of that box scary because you had just jumped back into it after finally finding yourself and getting on your feet after motherhood and having, you know, multiple children at that stage? Did you find it scary? Like, okay, now I'm taking this whole other shift. Who is this or how is this going to turn out? Yeah, um, I can literally remember the feeling of wanting to vomit every time I wanted to talk about my brand or my business or who I want to be or who it is I am and all the things that came around with creating your own box or your own shit, it made me want to vomit every single time for the first at least six months. Like I couldn't even verbalize what I was doing because what is my curriculum? What is my syllabus? What are my outcomes? Like am I going to decide that? And it scared me shitless. And like being your own boss and opening up your own business, like you said, there is no curriculum. There is no standard I need to meet. There is no kind of rule book or like something I can open up a textbook and follow. And you do come from a very academic background where that was probably something that came second nature to you. And now it's like, I'm not living up to my parents' expectations anymore. And when you were a kid, that's what you were doing. So you had that rule book. And then I had a rule book in uni, how I'm supposed to be. And now it's like, I'm throwing all of that away and creating my own. What are some of the limiting beliefs or things that would run in your mind throughout that time of building a successful business that you have now? Uh, One was one that's um, very, that was very dominating back then is, do I make sense? Like Uh what I have to say going to be of value for someone else. Right. And then another one was, is this good enough? Every time I saw a piece of content or I would reply to someone or I'd receive an email, I would critically analyze my response and think, is that even good enough? Do mm-hmm. I need more? Is this enough? And that moving target is so, it's so damaging to someone's worth and someone's self-belief because no one can ever decide that besides yourself. Yeah. And setting that standard and accepting what you have to give is the best that you have is where it ends. You don't need to wait for someone's response to then to then like tick it off. Yep, that was a good answer. 
Yeah. So, so we like not waiting on the other person's reassurance or validation. And, you know, that's something I've also experienced being in business as well, that you don't realize how you have your triggers, be it by yourself as a wife and then as a mother and now being a business owner, they play out so differently. Absolutely. And would you say with what you know now about, you know, conscious parenting and NLP around that kind of cognitive processing, that these also stem from childhood? hundred percent. It's your conditioning. It's how yeah. you've primed yourself to see the world. The lens that you look for, for that validation is the lens that you look at for someone's response, whether it be their eyebrow or, oh my God, that was an amazing response. Thank you so much. You've changed my life. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Thank you. You've done your job. And if we do have that lens, like some of the women who are listening may be like, okay, this sounds like me. What are some things they can do to change that lens or perhaps implement with their children if their children are showing those sorts of behaviors? It literally, like I can just narrow it down to one question. And that question is, what is my intention? Mm -hmm. Is it to serve? Is it to show up? Is it to support? Is it to communicate? And regardless of what that person's response is, you have served your intention. Mm-hmm. That is done. What you can control is finished. And just to add to that, I also think it's doing what you want to with intention and also without expecting anything back. Yes. That's one thing that I really harp on with with my clients is like do something from the goodness of your heart without expecting a thank you or them to treat you the same or them to one-up you or meet you at the same bus stop. You're doing this because that's the person you are. They're the characteristics you're choosing to have. And, you know, if someone is struggling with these thoughts and this validation seeking and this reassurance, I think it's important that they look inside of themselves and give themselves what they're looking for other people to give them. 100%. And then also to add on to that, it's also, okay, putting aside what your intention is in that that two-way street with the other person, it's what's my higher purpose? If I'm doing this for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, my road ends here. It doesn't have a crossroad with the other person's interaction with what I've done. Mm -hmm. I feel like having that at the forefront of your mind, whatever you do, can really just make everything else just sound like noise. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, if you do have the intention of doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's all the reward and validation you need. Exactly. You know, and it just takes practice to get to that point because like the, like they're hearing us, you know, we all started somewhere. We all had to break boxes. We all had those thoughts and those limiting beliefs. But the thing that is different than other people is we didn't allow that to stop us and you didn't allow that to stop you. Like if you stopped with your th- first thought, you wouldn't be here on this podcast today. You wouldn't be here having almost 20,000 followers. You wouldn't be here taking coaching calls and clients and making resources. So it goes to show how giving into your fear can limit you or make you limitless. Absolutely. Or just a choice. Yeah. And how can a parent bundle that up in a bite-sized package to teach to their children, besides obviously modeling that behavior, but what are some tactics we can give to that kid that may have low self-esteem or low confidence, or it's kind of a little bit negatively wired? Well, I always start with, okay, if you don't want your child to have low self-esteem, that would mean that you know what the antidote to that is, which is confidence, right? Yeah. 
So thinking out out loud like a confident person would, like, okay, I can see an obstacle in front of me. I'm riding my bike and I can see a hump coming. Mm -hmm. And think out loud the process that you would go through to get to the other side. Right. For example, if your child's like, my son, he's he's moved to a different school, to a private school, different setting, different environment, different friends, different teachers. Mm -hmm. Intimidating. I 100% get that. Now I can I can sit with him and talk about all the problems, or I can sit with him and talk out loud about a time that I've also felt intimidated. Mm-hmm. And I can talk out loud and that we can tell stories to our children about different ways that we can overcome these fears or whatever obstacle or challenge they're facing. Mm-hmm. So we we have to step step into that role of the skill that we want to teach them first and mm-hmm. really feel it in ourselves to then be a leader and guide them through that with them. So would you say that that providing the solution in kind of a metaphorical manner or a story manner or actually sitting down with them and saying, okay, what is the solution here? For example, that kid can't make friends or that kid can't speak up or, you know, he doesn't want to go to school. She doesn't want to go to school. So instead of focusing on, you know, if you don't speak up, no one's going to be your friend. Or bringing in that negative, it's, okay, so what can you do to maybe create a conversation? Maybe you can take a toy to school and someone's going to want to play with you with that toy. So it's framing a solution that you want them to get to, but obviously in a age-appropriate story kind of manner. Is that what I'm understanding here? Yeah, absolutely. And just to add to that, it's also like setting up the scene for them and navigating it with them. Like, you know, I always use a metaphor of... um the beach and we have the mm-hmm. lifeguards and we have the the flags. Mm-hmm. We are there to guide them in between the flags. As long as they're in the flags, they are safe and they are able and capable if we let them be. Once they come out the flags, then we can usher them back in, right? But this is how we build their resilience. They have to try, they have to fall, they have to get back up and they have to really get into the grit of things to understand it from their point. So yeah. set them up with open-ended questions. Mm-hmm. We communicating them in a way that's not emotionally loaded from our perspective but really letting them take the scene and see the scene and feel the scene for what they see it and feel it as not what we as adults see it as through our lens because it'll be completely mm-hmm. so it's it's being present in your parenting as well and obviously understanding am I going back to a time where I was bullied at seven and I'm now bringing that here on my son who's you know he's isolated and he's not going to have friends and he's going to be lonely for the rest of his primary school experience so it's being aware that I'm in the present moment and also you mentioned like being in the flags and out of the flags when is it the parent's role to usher children back in because we hear things like helicopter parenting or you know we're wrapping our kids in bubble wrap like, what do healthy mistakes look like? What do healthy big feelings look like? What does healthy maybe bickering among siblings look like? Yeah. So when do we come for and, you know, blow that whistle? Yeah. So the way I look at it is that if anyone's in danger, if safety is in question, that's where you're jumping straight away. Okay. So that's like hitting or hitting uh, yeah, hitting. I would say personally swearing, but yeah. not everyone agrees with that. Hitting, swearing, or if someone's like, say, about to run on the road, that's not where you're going to say, hey, honey, can you hold my hand yeah. so we can okay. mm-hmm. Anything like that, that's where you go jump in, physical force, remove the person that's getting in danger, and mm-hmm. then you can 
let's um, soften things out once the emotions are down. But besides that, if you think about it, any child's role in this world at their developmental age, their only job is to feel and experience life. Mm -hmm. Anything else that's added to that is our projection of responsibility, which is not wrong. Kids need responsibility. But Mm -hmm. the ultimate intention when they wake up from the ages of zero to say six is to experience life and feel life for what it offers them and that is a whole lot of emotions yeah and we're just kind of the map of that experience we do our best to direct them to the best outcome whilst also managing the the hurdles and trip-ups that come along the way yeah right so we're teaching them the life skill is what I'm understanding Yeah, because every emotion comes with a life skill to back it up. There is no emotion that's negative. Sadness is not negative. Anger is not negative. It's our behaviors that come from that impulse Mm -hmm. that can be tailored for a more healthy response so they can become adults that are competent with their big feelings. Mm -hmm. Because how often do you see adults having big tantrums? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then that brings me to my next question. Is there any age group in parenting that you believe is the hardest or maybe most significant and why? I don't think there's a certain age group that is the most hardest. Each age comes with its challenges, comes with its, you know, goodness of it. But we know from science that and research, it tells us that from zero to eight is the most significant time of a child's life because 85% of their brain is developed then and then the remaining is developing until the age of, I think, 27 or 30. Mm-hmm. So, so for those mums that have stuffed up, right, because I've stuffed up here and there, like- every single parent has. Um, so from zero to eight, we've done a couple of stuff ups. We weren't the best versions of ourselves. We were young mums, uneducated mums, and we're now wanting to do it different. Mm-hmm. And our child is above that eight range. What are maybe three basic things we can start with to kind of override our stuff ups? Okay. Well, the first place to be is to acknowledge your stuff ups. Mm-hmm. Actually sit with yourself and think, okay, what have I done? Knowing now what I know, what would I have done differently? Mm-hmm. And taking taking that and accepting it and being kind to yourself that you only did the best that you could back then. Yeah, because carrying that guilt and that hurt is going to serve no one. It's just going to continue to come up in your parenting. A hundred percent. And I always use this metaphor as well. If you're driving a car and you're looking in the rearview mirror, what's going to happen? You're not going forward. You're going to crash. Yeah. So don't carry that burden with your child, especially if you're trying to move forward. Mm-hmm. So that the second thing I would recommend is sitting with your child and asking them what they need. If you could have, if you could wish for anything for me to do for you as a mum, what would it be? Because that way you're not doing what you, you think you haven't done. You are actually sitting with the child and talking about what they feel like they need done. Perhaps- I do this so often. Yeah. It is like game changing. Especially because I'm single parent home, it's like I'm trying to do go above and beyond because in my brain there's gaps I need to fill even when there isn't. Yes. Just a thing. But when I sit with my kid down, I'm like, okay, so what do you need from me so I can just narrow this down? So I can schedule this stuff in and just narrow it down. And my daughter's literally like, I just want to hug every morning. And I'm sitting here thinking she needs a hug, she needs to go out, she needs me to braid her hair, she needs me to read a book to her. And all she needs, literally, and all she needs is a hug. I'm like, great, done, finished, scheduled, right? Every morning it's a hug. So oftentimes I feel like we overcomplicate it. 
Absolutely. And when we're able to simplify it, and like you said, bring your kid in the equation, ask the question, just like you'd ask an adult. If you need information, you're going to ask an adult, just ask the kid and mm-hmm. just do that. And I think sometimes- another hard thing, just doing that, like taking their answer and running with it. Because oftentimes it's like, okay, so is that enough? Are we meeting it? Are we this? Like you just need to shut up that noise and they just ask for a hug. Just do that. Yeah, it's like bringing your lens down to their level. And it's yep. also, I know lots of parents, that they, they struggle to communicate. That simple skill of communication is such a daunting task for them mm-hmm. because they never experienced it or perhaps they're still learning the skill. So then yep. I, always, I, I tell them, okay, how about you draw with your child? Mm-hmm. Draw us. If you could choose whatever you want this money to do for this child, speak in third person as well, create some distance, what would it look like? And they'll be just drawing and that's where the words just come out. Or play yeah. play or play dolls, whatever it is, just sit with them and see what it is their world looks like from their view. And this could be a 10-minute task, right? Like we're not talking now that parents are like, oh, I need to schedule half an hour for this. Like we're talking about 10 minutes of just undivided attention, stick figures, and, you know, a box home. Even just driving to school. Yeah. It's very simple. None of this has to be extravagant. It's literally the presence of a mother that nothing can compare to or a father. Yeah. And I cannot agree with that enough. I really, really can't. And another thing that I find with my own parenting is when I haven't been present is when the behavior starts to go a little bit out of whack. Yeah. And another thing I noticed is oftentimes when I'm extremely busy and I've got so much on my mind and I have that bit of snappiness or like, let's go, we need this, we need that, blah, 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 blah. Then I'm looking at them and I'm like, shit, they've become like me. Yeah. They got like that. We need to go. We needed this or they're snapping or they're jumping around or they're extra hyper. And I'm like, what is going on with these kids? And then when I take a step back and look at myself, it's like I've been like a bouncy ball all over the place. How can I expect them not to be? Yeah. Oftentimes the behavior isn't necessarily something's missing that we may think. Sometimes we just need to check ourselves and see if we're regulated and we're okay and we're being present. And that's been like a game changer for me. Yeah. Yeah, kids really do feed off our energy. Yeah, yeah. So for that mum that's on edge or is like a yo-yo or even in the respect where like a single parent home and there's things that she just needs to do a lot on her own, like that's just her day-to-day life, what are some things that she can implement in order to kind of give that child that presence or maybe herself be a little bit more regulated to then pass it on to the kid. Yeah. Well, I think the first step is to take a look at the day and recognize what tasks are negotiable and what tasks are non-negotiable for that mum to get through. Right. And narrow down the the noise in the mind of what needs to get done and how much needs to get done. Mm-hmm. And also, as crazy as it sounds, time block it. If it's the morning, like if your child goes to school, it's okay. Perhaps you need to not do all the housework in the morning and just have breakfast with your child before school. Just sit down. Even if the child doesn't want to talk, have no TV, no screens, no noise, and just sit and enjoy a bite with your child. It's as simple as that. Even if they don't sit there and say, this is the best moment of my life, they can feel you, they can see you, and you've dropped everything for this moment. And they do rise to that. Yeah, and I think over time when that's practiced, it starts to be something that then does turn into the conversation. They do then take notice of you. They do then tell you, oh, I love spending this time. My mum sat and had breakfast with me. 
sometimes we start something and we think we're going to get the results straight away or the recognition straight away, or perhaps like it's not working, but it also takes time because I know from myself and probably a lot of mothers can agree, it is so hard to be like this. A hundred percent. Hard to be present, even in those 10 minute moments, because it's like in these 10 minutes, I could have done X, Y, and Z. And here I am sitting with my child who doesn't want to talk to me. Yeah. And it can feel a little bit personal, even though it's not. It's a sense of rejection always comes up when they don't play with that time of connection you're trying to set out for them. Yeah. But it also helps with the times where you put your head on your pillow and it's like, all right, I did what I had to do. I showed up. My intentions and my purpose has been served. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming back to the higher power. Yeah. Your higher purpose and your intention of that. Yeah. And I think also my last tip I was going to mention is that it's not only the one, like the connection in the peaceful moments, it's when your kid is kicking and screaming and slamming doors in your face and pushing you away, trying your best to just stop in that moment and ask them, what do you need from me? What do you want? Mm -hmm. What is it do you want? Mm -hmm. Of jumping to the behavior as the problem. We, yeah. need to look as a, we need to look at it as a window to the process that's happening below the surface that they don't even understand. Yeah. This and behavior, it's a parent, it's hard to understand. Like, you know, at times when my kids are having a tantrum like that and I'm looking, I'm like, I don't even know what to do. But I understand my child's love language. So basically I'll just sit behind them or next to them or wherever they're having their fit. And I'm like, I'm here. I'm ready to give you a hug whenever you're ready to come and give me one. And I will just sit there or just place a hand on them while they're doing whatever they need to do. And about nine times out of 10, they go from 100 down to one and they're sitting in my lap. A hundred percent. So sometimes it takes just knowing your kid that little bit and you don't even need to say anything. Just be there. Yeah. And sometimes I frame it in a way where like I think about myself. Like if I was an adult being so emotionally wound and I'm having this breakdown, I would love someone to just put their arm on my shoulder or just tell me that they're just there. Yeah. But sometimes we overcomplicate it. Yeah, and then even even if you think of it like um, when you are angry with an adult and we say things that we don't mean, mm-hmm. do we take it like as, you know, the be or end or and hold that against them and make and give them a punishment for that word that they said or do we think, okay, this person is really angry, they don't mean what they say, I'm just going to like give you a breather. Yes. But we expect the same. We we do the exact opposite with our children. Why? Because we believe we live in a place of authority and control and coercion. And that's just not the case. Yeah. I think that's also kind of some conditioning. Absolutely. Really is some cultural conditioning when it comes to that. Um, Especially one thing that comes up for me in session is when mothers do come to me and they're like, my kid's the problem, all this sort of stuff. And then it ends up being like, you're the problem. Things, yeah, when I bring up things about apologizing to your kid or being like, look, I was out of whack. Because one thing I do really mention is it's not the argument or the disagreement or the bad word you said, it's the lack of repair. Absolutely. Just dusting it under the carpet like nothing happened. Right. And one thing I do notice is it's like, you want me to apologize to my kid? You want me to say, I'm wrong. I could just try it and see where it goes. And most often than not, they come back and they're like, that's the best conversation I've had in my life with my child. Absolutely. So it's like throw that ego out the window, throw that power tripping out the window. And 
just have an honest conversation with your kid and show them accountability, model them discipline and put your hand up and say, yeah, I did stuff up. I did say those things. Yeah, and I can guarantee you that that behavior will be replicated with the siblings, with other people in their life, because now they know what it looks like from their main character in their life to actually be transparent and be accountable and be honest. Yeah. A teacher skill. And then, like, this thing goes back to there's no perfectionism in parenting. Doesn't exist. I yeah. mean, it's whoever yeah. to be perfect is a liar. Absolutely. Absolutely. Liar. The amount of times I wanted to jump on Instagram and just record myself crying and show people like, you know what? I messed up. I was rude. I was mean. But you know what? I still believe that there is a chance and hope after this moment. Because I'm aware of this. I'm not going to let my child go sit in their room and think how rude, how mean. I did snap. I am a human. I have emotion. I lose control sometimes. No one is perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of my second last questions to you is now that you've recently become a parenting coach certified, that was exciting. Congratulations. What is the next step for parenting on purpose in 2024? Just give us one thing that's on the top of your list. In-person workshops. I need human connection. I thrive off it and I love it. I'm a hugger. I'm a face-to-face person. So hopefully more of that. Yeah. And, you know, we've come full circle in this whole conversation because that's where you started with in your child. Yeah. And yeah. look at you now, full circle. Yeah. I love I that. I love that. And lastly, I get a guest to leave a question for the following guest every single episode. And our previous guest, Lily, left this question for you. What three fears did you have starting your business and how did you overcome them? That's a good question. Um, imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. syndrome. Like if I was to snap my, my child, how am I teaching parents not to snap? But then yeah. obviously taking accountability and repairing is key. Um, the next one is um, what are people going to think of me? Yep. And what are the people in my circle going to think of me after this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now we know that everyone's opinion is none of our business. Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And I'm going to get you to either DM me or email me the another question for our next guest. Um, so tune along and listen in to find out what the next question is. I'm so excited. Um, we are going to be having another guest in the realm of birthing and hypnobirthing, which is super exciting. So I'm loving where this theme is going. Thank you so much for your time today. I hope that a lot of mothers can take and implement the things we've spoken about and the strategies you've mentioned today, like now, like action it after this. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. And I will have all of her details in the info box of this episode so you can reach out to her if you need help on your parenting journey.